Hello everyone, this is Anand from Data Engineering Weekly. I'm excited about Data Engineering Weekly, which is your 75th editions today. And I was thinking myself, why can't I give it a try in podcasting? And I don't know where it's going to lead, but overall I'm excited about new learnings uh, with this podcast. Um, the initial format I'm thinking of, more please starting just sharing my thoughts while writing the Data Engineering Weekly. Um, and uh, over the period of a time, I'm hoping that we'll be investing, inviting more guests uh, who wrote an ex you know, exciting articles about data engineering and we can talk to them and share more insight out of it. If you want to chat about data, all things in Data Engineering Weekly, please feel free to ping me. I'm happy to chat and it's gonna be exciting. Let's start this week. I think this week is an exciting uh, time data engineering. Uh, we've seen arguments about bundling versus unbundling the data platform. Uh, it's all started with a uh, you know excellent write-up of the unbundling of Airflow. Uh, the blog narrates like how various tools are trying to come up with creating um, you know solving a different aspect of Airflow uh, problems, uh, and the article center ended up with like a diverse set of tools unbundling airflow, and this diversity is causing substantial fragmentation in the modern data stack. Like everyone else, uh, the author concluded, uh, um, the author predict some consolidation of these tools in the coming years. Now, interestingly, a couple of days after that, Daxter, another open source orchestration engine, um, they writes about the mission and, and the case for rebundling the data platform. And, um, the case is like having this many tools without coherent centralized control plane is lunacy and a terrible end state for data practitioners and their work and the stakeholders. And I do believe in the consolidation of the tools soon. You know, um, if you step back, why Airflow is very successful in, in the previous state of what, what the Airflow looks like. Um, the magic of like, you can programmatically author an app, you know, uh, author a data pipeline, and in order to rerun your job, all you need to do is to go and click one, you know, one tiny box and say clear. And as long as your data pipeline is adopting a functional functional paradigm, it's going to work. The the simplification of the workflow and this beautiful UI, and that is the that's the thing that's kind of very new to the data engineers. I think workflow is the most important aspect. You know, how can we efficiently improve the productivity of the data practitioner is is the thing. And um, and we have seen uh, these consolidation happening actually. You know, um, DBD recently you know. Or, or, has a blog about DBT metadata and metadata in data management. And Atlan stepping into was supposed to be a data uh, catalog system and now stepping into exploration and visualization space. So I believe that there is some consolidation happening here and there. Um, and I'm kind of predict it's going to accelerate. It's not going to be like disjoint solutions over the period of a time. And this is how uh, I believe every and every tool kind of emerged over the period of a time. Um, I often hear comparison of modern data stack with a unique philosophy. You know, who is 
the Unix terminal of the modern data stack is a billion dollar question because whoever controlled the workflow and where the work happened and that is the value proposition to any developers if you are a, if you are a tool that works on top of this workflow uh, <clears throat> or workflow or the terminal what do you call it as here it's invisible to the end user you know you don't control the workflow so you are essentially replaceable over the period of a time with any of your other tools uh, in this case so i think um, I'm very curious uh, to figure it out and see like who will be that, um, you know, the controller of modern data stack. Um, it's a great, uh, great space to watch and grow. Moving on, uh, Freefect writes about logs, you know, in the Freefect way. I think observability is a very critical aspect in, um, in the data pipeline. You know, when a job is failed and you want to just click one button and you see the diverse set of job, you know, application logs in one place, it's the simplification of operating the data pipeline is absolutely crucial and it's magic. Uh, and that's one of the other reasons why Afro is also kind of very good. Like you just click the task and you, just, you can see that in the console, uh, in the UI, most of the logs, how the jobs has failed. Uh, Freefet also write about more enriched um, logging uh, system called Orion logging. Uh, so something that's very exciting and very great to see uh, more focusing on the developer uh, productivity in this case. Pinterest uh, uh, engineering writes about Pinterest workflow platform called Spinner. Uh, it's interesting to see uh, Spinner, uh, you know, uh, Pinterest write about uh, their internal uh, orchestration engine called Pinball and then like why they kind of moving away from Pinball to adopting Airflow and some of the things they build on top of Airflow. So it's an exciting uh, read and I see more and more, uh, it's, it's another I know testimony for more and more consolidation happening uh, around the, the ecosystem here. And moving on, um, Apache Arrow, Apache Arrow introducing an Apache Arrow flight, SQL, you know, is an accelerating database access. Uh, it's a new client server protocol developed by Apache Arrow community for interacting with SQL databases. Uh, there's an interesting tweet mentioned in the uh, Data Engineering Weekly as um, about uh, the dumpers feeds of the modern data stack. It's like we store the data in a columnar format and pivot the data into a row format while you're transporting over the wire. And then again, pivoting into the row format back to the column on a storage for visualization. I think that's, we got to fix it. I think uh, that that trait kind of summarize the real pain of the modern uh, data stack. And, uh, and I'm, overall, I'm excited to see how Apache Arrow is becoming uh, the de facto um, interface on that. Moving on, um, Kevinco, right, um, introducing to introducing Fuge, reducing PySpark developer friction. Um, and um, this is another exciting article about like, again, focusing more on the developer productivity aspect of it is that um, the author kind of compares how the workflow looks like when you're prototyping with the pandas and then as the scale grows, you wanted to run in a distributed system uh, frameworks, uh, most favorably, you know, uh, PySpark in this case. And what are the difficulties to come, you know, converting pandas to PySpark and, and all the uh, compatibility issues um, kind of discussed uh, around that. Um, and um, Fig is, a, is an interesting tool and I can't wait to kind of try it out. Uh, is, a, is an automated tool that trying to kind of 
bridge this gap of inconsistency and provide more developer velocity. Uh, so certainly looking forward to try that and see uh, how that's going to work out. And another exciting article is data engineers and designers, how the US companies, uh, you know, what is the data and engineers, uh, data engineers and the engineers, backend engineers or front end engineers and designers, how the ratio looks like. Um, so it's an interesting case study. Um, one of the thing I see, uh, it's kind of very interesting is that the median data to engineers ratio for US companies uh, is one to seven compared to one to four in European companies. And the design to engineers ratio is one to nine for both the groups. Um, so it's an interesting variation uh, of the number of data engineers to the engineers in the US companies. Um, I'm, I'm wondering like what could be the reason um, whether like US companies are more uh, advanced in terms of automating the data task or EU is more advanced in terms of up, you know, adopting data as an operating principle for the companies. Uh, this is something that is really interesting to figure it out. And, uh, and one not so surprise is analytical companies are in fact not analytical. There is a very less ratio of data engineers on the trend. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting fact. Moving on, um, why data engineers must have domain knowledge? Uh, that's a very interesting article. You know, I switched between backend engineering and data engineering in my career. What excites me in data engineering is, is the uniqueness of thinking from a business perspective on what data points that business need to run a business, right? Um, that, that's what end of the day data engineering does, like they kind of figuring it out what data and what format they want. There's a known and unknown data, data I think, uh, you know, whether it could be a controlled data or uncontrolled data, bringing them into an ecosystem and, you know, giving this a different perspective to the business narration. Um, so, I mean, simple questions like, what is the count of unique users itself can reveal how much the business operates? You know, that's the beauty of it. Um, it's uh, this article is an excellent um, narration of why data engineers must have a domain knowledge and uh, how to approach to acquire it. Uh, it's a great one uh, to read that. Um, another one interesting article, Salesforce or engineering writes about embracing mutable big data. I think uh, we started with the big data with the mutability, and I think we gone too far, and we've seen emerging of lake house architectures like Apache Kudi, icebergs in Delta Lakes. Um, these these frameworks now support um, mutability as a first class citizens, even with the role level mutability there. Um, and as in more and more compliance requirements are increasing, and the business needs and velocity is increasing. Uh, I feel like it's a time to embrace mutability. And one of the things that I really liked about, uh, you know, some of the modern OLAP engines like Apache Pnode is also supporting mutability as a first-class citizens. And this mutability gives you great flexibility in modeling analytical uh, data sets. Um, mutability is not bad as long as the transaction is limited to a bounded context. You don't want it to kind of... Um, handling unbounded transaction and having, um, you know, uh, resulted many side effects of the mutability. So have to be careful on handling uh, those aspects of it. Uh, 
the Microsoft Data Science uh, blogs, they write about like natural language understanding and what is a purpose of meaning. I think it's an exciting overview of some of the critical elements in natural language understanding. Uh, the blog uh, is an excellent overview to get a big picture of like what is natural language uh, processing uh, in this case. And when I read about like it's kind of a uh, uh, very interesting learning experience uh, over the period of uh, in this case, um, especially the blogs talking about explicit understanding versus the implicit understanding like how do we uh, you know differentiation between how a natural language can be interpreted when you are giving an explicit commands like you know schedule the planning meeting uh, for next monday uh, versus understanding an implicit meeting uh, implicit understanding of uh, some of the words so this blog is a highly recommended one if you wanted to get a quick overview of like what is a natural language landscape going to look like um Back market engineering team wrote about um, their journey from Delta Lake to BigQuery. I think last November we seen the infamous performance benchmark offer between Snowflake and Databricks. Um, and but but more and more I see that there is a hybrid approach. You know the product analytics tend to move towards uh, systems like Delta Lake, Apache Hudi uh, to kind of handling the large volume of data. Versus, as the data get aggregated more, uh, this is you know, the data in, in data architecture kind of moving towards uh, cloud data warehouses like Snowflake, Redshift, or uh, BigQuery. In this case, uh, what is so interesting for me in this blog that the fact that Backmarket actually has uh, you know Google, BigQuery, Delta Lake, and Snowflake. So I'm curious to figure it out. Uh, you know, it'll be very interesting to see the backstory of it. Um, overall, it's a great article and a good reference architecture if you wanted to kind of see through how uh, to kind of move from Delta Lake to BigQuery in this case. Um, and Footpointer um, wrote about how they reduced BigQuery cost by 45% reducing reservation slots. Um, the blog post contains some of the best practices to monitor the cost utilizations of reservation slots and and how do we reduce the car uh, reduce the cost and how do we go ahead and you know um, approach from a bottom-up uh, side of it it's a very interesting uh, blog um, I feel like that these concepts can be applied to any um, any cloud databases um, as long as you know what variable that you can play it around in order to reduce the cost uh, finally um, Hi-Fi Labs, um, uh, it's one of the contribution from our GitHub repo, um, uh, shared about an AFSUM DBD is a collection of DBD resources and sample projects in a Git repo. Um, if you are wanted to learn and curious about how to get started with DBD, how do I get the sample projects and, you know, uh, and all the way through an advanced learning, it is an excellent um, collection of all things related to dbt highly recommended to go there i just github.com slash labs slash awesome dbt in this case um so that's all for data engineering weekly this week um i hope i can see you next week until then bye